Amen. Good morning, Church on the Rock. It's good to be with you today. My name is Pastor Josh, and I'm excited to kick into a new sermon series today called Love You Weary. <laughs> and so we're entering tomorrow. What's tomorrow? Valentine's Day. And so we thought it would be appropriate to take a few weeks to just dive into this characteristic, this underlying foundation of who God is, which is, oh, try it again, which is, come on. And so we're going to get into that today. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick detour to Acts chapter 8. And so if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 9. It says this, a man named Simeon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that I may lay hands on, on people, and they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness. Pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, for these terrible things you have said won't happen to me. Before we get into love today, I want to take a, a, a good look really quick, and I want to look at the idea of what does it mean to be a Holy Spirit-filled church. What does it mean when you hear the idea of a Spirit-filled or a Spirit-filled people? What does that mean? There's this idea, there's this promise that God gave to us of the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you that it is one of the most powerful, life-changing things on earth. When you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit invades your life, everything changes. Everything changes. Every way you interact with people and how you think and process, everything begins to change in you. It was God's Spirit that's given to select, but it used to be in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, pre the coming of the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit would be sent on people for a time. It says they were filled with God's spirit, and his favor and his blessing would come upon people, but then, once the mission was accomplished, it would be returned to God. 
But we live in an age where the promise of the Father is that you can be, have access to the Holy Spirit at all time forever. Acts 1.4 says, Once when he was sitting with them, this Jesus, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And skipping down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled, a church filled with the Holy Spirit, being a person that's filled with the Spirit, is a gift and a promise from the Father. It's accessible to you. Not to just a select few, not those on the worship team, not just those who pray at the altar, not those who gather on Tuesday night, but to the every person that calls Jesus Lord and Savior. You have access to the power of God. Amen? It's desirable. It's worthy of your pursuit and your attention. It changes your life. It changes the atmosphere in which you live. It will change you and the people around you. The scriptures remind us that at the time of salvation, something in us is reborn, renewed in us, right? And so my mind remains, and God help us, I hope this is not the spiritual body that we're claimed. I like, it's a good start, but I believe there's a few improvements that can be made here. It was a joke, John. I mean, just come on, man. So what is the thing that changed? Your mind, body, and soul. And so Jesus talks to Nicodemus about how you must be born again. And he says, how can I go back to my mother and be born again? Your spirit must be born again. And so at the time of salvation, you are, your soul is rejuvenated or regenerated and renewed. It's born again. And the Holy Spirit comes up, is upon you. At that moment, there's a separation from evil in you. You've made a choice to separate your life, to untangle it from the curse. Untangle it from the inheritance of sin that the first Adam brought into the world. You know, children aren't able to pick their inheritance. It's picked for you and given to you by your ancestors. We were born into the curse, into the sin-filled world. We didn't have a choice. But God gives you an opportunity to choose a life outside of that. And so, though, we're not talking about that initial, we're not talking about the initial dwelling of the Spirit upon you at salvation. Jesus talks about how you were baptized in the physical, but you'll also be baptized in the spiritual. And so Jesus himself models this. He models that he was baptized by John at the river. And the Spirit dwelled upon him. It fell down upon him like a dove. But then with the Spirit's prompting, he was led into the wilderness. And then 40 days of fasting and tempting with the devil, he comes out of it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so there's this switch in us that it's not just a dwelling upon us, but a baptism that we undergo and go through. And so what does it mean to be a spirit-filled believer? What does it mean to be a spirit-filled church? What does it mean to be a church that pursues the Spirit? You know, Paul writes into this. 
he sends a letter, he dictates a letter for this church, these people in Corinth. It's the first letter of Corinthians. And he sends this letter to this church, this new church trying to get off the ground. And they're running into a lot of struggles. And they're trying to figure out how, how do we live our life? How do we worship? How do we participate in community? What is, what is sex and, and worship and community? And what is, how do we eat? And all these things in life. And Paul writes this letter to a people trying to figure out how to do church. And he sends it through a lens of the gospel. He says, you should live this way. And he gives them a lens to view it through, through the gospel. And he has two incredibly powerful, well-referenced chapters that goes over what the Holy Spirit looks like for the church, the Acts church. The new church, the church of Jesus Christ. And so the very first one is chapter 12. I'm just going to read this in its entirety. And so when we say, what does it look like? What does a spirit-filled church look like? Acts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 says this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray, swept along and worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is a source of them all. One Spirit, different manifestations or expressions of that Spirit. Verse 5. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given, to, is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. To someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from God, from the Spirit of God, or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Assemblies of God, churches, Church on the Rock, we absolutely believe that these writings are present for here and now. We absolutely believe that a spirit-filled church will see expressions and manifestations dictated here in 1 Corinthians 12. We believe that when you're in the presence of God and you get saturated with God and you feel the baptism of God, it expresses itself in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so what does that look like right there? We believe in these things happening in us, in our community, and in our gatherings. Would you turn to somebody right now and just say, this is a really weird Valentine's Day message on love. We're going to get there. Give me a second, okay? So as we pursue the presence of God, we will see the manifest power of God shown in 1 Corinthians 12. But why? Why did the Spirit come? Why were we given all of these expressions? Why were we given the differing gifts? Why were we given those things here and now? And that's the question that I'm coming to answer today. What separates Peter and John from the sorcerer Simon? They believed 
says Simon believed. He was baptized. What separated them? And I believe what separates us, what, 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 what invites the baptism of the Spirit in is a correct heart before God and a correct understanding of the gifts. God cares about our heart way more than our hands. He cares way more about how you do something than that you do it. You know, when my kids, um, when I tell them to go and clean up their playroom, oftentimes I'll get major feedback. No, this is the worst day. This is a huge jump. I'm overwhelmed. Like, you made the mess. Like, you knew this was coming. Don't pretend. But sometimes I'll say, Nora Noble, go clean up. And they'll go and they'll do it with a happy heart. And then they come say, Mom, Dad, don't come in here for five minutes. Okay. And then they say, okay, Mom, Dad, come here. And they come in and they've arranged all their stuffed animals on the couch. And they've put all the blankets out haphazardly, but very specifically, kind of folded up and laying here, laying here, and laying here. And their like, toys are everywhere, but it's all specifically done. They said, Mom, look, I cleaned up and I made the couch for you. It's a worse off mess than what it was before. It's not in my idea of what clean looks like. But their heart was to get a heart of a cleanliness and to please us. Do you think I say, how dare you? You despicable little child, clean that crap up. No, I say, great job. This is amazing. Thank you. This looks so comfortable. I'm actually going to move the, you know, lightsaber so I can sit down and not be impaled by it. But thank you. This was a great idea. Swords on the chair should be there. That's a great idea. I care way more about training their hearts than what they do with their hands. I care way more about their hearts. And God is speaking, saying he cares about your heart, your intention. He wants to. He, it's the promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit coming. But there also comes with what is the heart behind what he's going to give you. Do you have the right heart? And so I want to take you. I said Paul has two chapters, right? 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And it's very specific that he separated the two chapters on the giftings of the Spirit. Because in the middle of those comes 1 Corinthians what? 13, obviously. But we probably all know 13. Even in the secular world, we know 1 Corinthians 13. It's said at funerals and weddings because it's one of the greatest uh, texts on love that we've ever received. Amen? But I want to show you, before we get to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. It says, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now, but now, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. But now, let me show you the way of life that is best of all. We're in a series right now called Love You Wearing emphasizing the idea of love in our lives and that there is a way of life that is best of all. I love that but now sentence. We recently went back home and connected with some old uh, high school buddies who went to a comedy show. And they said, and now. They cleared out the first guy, the guy that comes on to work the crowd. He's practicing jokes, just trying to get along. You kind of give some pity laughs and stuff. But, and now, here's the main act, the reason you paid the money to come. I like when we get done with appetizers and a meal. It says, and now, here's the main entree. Here's the main thing. But now, but now, let me show you this, Paul says. 
But now, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. This is a, 13 is a comparison. It's not a negative comparison saying the Holy Spirit came, but you shouldn't pursue that. No, it's a continuation of the conversation. He said, 12, you should pursue the Spirit. You are given access to the Holy Spirit. You're giving access to the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. But now, let me continue on and let me show you a, the even the better way. An even better way, elevating it and continuing the conversation. And so with that idea in mind, with chapter 12 in mind, read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I, if I understood all of God's secret plans, possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I'd have gained nothing. So what is this best way of living? It is a life of love. When you put it into context, you realize that the languages and the prophetic things he's talking about and the self-sacrifice he's talking about is that if you have the mightiest moves of God, the most powerful expressions of God, but you do not have the love of God in you, it is worthless. If you move in the power of God, Without the heart of God, it is worthless. You must get the heart behind the power. There is a way of life, a best way of life, and that is a way of love. And he continues right on to this. This idea is that the Holy Spirit people should be the most loving people in the world. Holy Spirit people should be the most loving people people in the world commenter uh, and bible translator jack hayward he says this he says all manifestations of the spirit must at the same time manifest the ways of love for love is the ultimate issue behind all things a move of the spirit is an affirmation to the recipients of god's love for them i really believe that every time the spirit moves you pray for healing and it happens you pray for a word of knowledge and you're given it. Or you pray for a situation and God answers. It's an affirmation of God's love for you. It's an affirmation of God's love moving through you. I really believe that. So why are the spiritual gifts given? They are given for the edification and building love in our communities. 1 Corinthians 12 finishes with this metaphor of the body of Christ. The second half, the first half is about the gifts. The second half of chapter 12 is about the idea of the body of Christ, that we are all part of the body of Christ. But I actually don't want to go there. I want to go to a different writing, which is Ephesians chapter 4. And again, this is the same idea. We're still talking about the body of Christ, but he says this. I'm actually going to skip forward just a little bit to verse, chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way 
more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The reason that God gives his gifts, he gives us ideas that the church is broken down into the body of Christ. Every single one of us has a part to play in this community. And every single one of us has access to the Holy Spirit. And every single one of us, the reason you're given access to the Holy Spirit is to serve the body in love. There's one head, one leader, Jesus Christ. And it says we are all expressions of Jesus. And so when you move in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's an expression of Jesus' love. Are you getting it? Are you just seeking into you? You cannot rely, you should not rely on the Holy Spirit being for somebody else. It is part of you. God designed it for you to access the Holy Spirit. And as we begin assessing the Holy Spirit, you begin moving in the gifts for others' benefits. Every person has a part. We shouldn't rely on one person to be the jackknife trade of all the spiritual gifts. Hey, can you whip out a spiritual word on this? Can you whip out a healing on this? Hey, go to that person for discernment. You have access to the Holy Spirit to administer God's love. That's the first part of the message today that I really want to drive home, is that you have direct access to God and to his spirit and for it to move in your life and your community. Do not wait on somebody else to do it for you. It takes a willing heart to administer love. That's the qualifications. Will you pursue God? Do you love God? Do you want to administer that love? Then ask for the gifts. Paul talks about ask for the gifts. Earnestly, you should desire the gifts that are most helpful to edify the body. And I think Ephesians 4 gives a few more insights of why the gifts are there that's so important. It speaks truth and love. It speaks words that are truthful. Its purpose is to grow the body, not hamper or hinder the body. To edify the body, to exhort it towards love, to bring unity into peace and to administer, to do its part so the rest of the parts can do what they need to do. And it all points to Jesus Christ, the head. Simon wanted to point to himself. Can you, here, here, here's the money. Take the money. Can I, can I do that? I want to go and lay hands on people so they receive it. Because Simon wanted to build his own platform. Simon wanted to build his own stage. Simon wanted to build the power inside of himself. It wasn't for others. It wasn't for glorifying God. It was for glorifying himself. Spiritual gifts are available to you. And they're for you to build the body of Christ. But church, here's the thing that I really want to hone in as we kind of the second half of the message today is that we have a hero complex in America today. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And we're hitting a lot of very familiar verses today. You've probably heard this lots of times, but it's it's 
God put it on my heart to bring up again today. I'm so quick to forget God's word, and I think it's why we preach it again and again, is to get it into our hearts and our heads and our minds and our lives. Luke chapter 15, we're going to start with verse 11. We're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. To illustrate his point further, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land. There he wasted all the money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was given to the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. He finally came to his senses and he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robes in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. Your father's killed the fattened calf. We were celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I have slaved for you, never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and he has back, come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I've heard this preached and read through it. So many times in my life, and I'm not going to assume this on you, but when I've read it, and I hear it, and I think about it, I always place myself as the father in this story. I always think of myself as the one that receives the broken person back, that's willing to forgive the person, that's sitting there, waiting, looking, excited to bring the broken and the lost into God's house. I'm always the one that's in the party room, celebrating the person that's been lost, and they're back. Woo! That's where I put myself, and I would guess that many of us find ourselves in that position. But you know what's crazy is that Jesus did not share this story for the lost. He wasn't sitting around a bunch of sinners and saying, he wasn't saying, you are the parable son. Verse 11 says, to illustrate his point further. So back up to the very first verse, Luke 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. 
So Jesus told them this story. We are not the parable son. We are not the prodigal son. We are the older son in the story, church. We are the elite Christians, the ones that go to church every Sunday and prayer night and Wednesday night and tithe and Sabbath and fast. And we are the ones that are living our lives by the book of the law. We are the older siblings. We're the ones that are standing on the outside, not wanting to press in because we're passing judgment on the lost. You see, the younger son wanted the benefits or the blessing or the favor of the father. He just wanted all the good things that come from being in God's grace. All the things that we read about Job when we hear about all the land and the people and the sons and daughters and how rich he was and the lost. They just wanted all that. All the good things. They wanted the happy life. The son, though, the older son, wanted the father's position of authority. He wanted to be there to sit there and to say, you know what? You've messed up too much and passed judgment. He wanted the position of the father where the, the lost excited the blessing. Why we have such a good story to share with people is because you've tried everything, but we have the answer to everything you could be looking for. We have the water that will never run out. We have all these things, and we can share those with people. But in our hearts, what we have to battle is the desire to be the authoritative figure that God actually is. Who's the head? Jesus Christ. If I could speak with all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. Band, you can start making your way forward. You know, I've talked about this before, and you know that I love coffee. Like a, a, a nerdy love for coffee. Like I get pretty deep into it, okay? And when you break down coffee, it really is just science. You're, you're, if you take the same beans and the same grind setting and the same uh, water temperature and the same brewing method and you do all those things again and again, you get the same cup of coffee. And the fight for making a good cup of coffee is regulating all of those things because if one little thing's off, if, the bean, if I change the beans or the bean size or if I go through all that process but I have my cup of coffee and I add four ounces more of water, the whole cup is affected. And so we can be so passionate. But actually, let me put it this way. Maybe you're not into coffee. That's okay. Maybe we're all Midwesterners. We love Florida. We love beaches. And I think arguably one of the best foods in the world is a cold-cut deli sandwich on a beach. Like, Without exaggerating, it makes a cold-cut deli sandwich 1,000 times better. You're sitting there with the sun and the breeze and the seagulls and the kids and the, the water's lapping and just eating that sandwich. It's just so good. But what happens the first moment you put it down on the cooler or a little gust of wind kicks up and just a, a little bit of sand kicks on that sandwich? All of a sudden, that most best thing in the world you could eat is just completely trashed and ruined. 
you're going to remember that illustration because where I'm going from here to there. We can pursue the Spirit of God. We can pursue a move of God. And we can even see things that appear to be that come about in our lives. But sprinkle in just a little bit of pride. Sprinkle in just a little bit of self-elevation. And the whole thing gets messed up. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Jack Hayward again. Without love, the most magnificent manifestation of the gifts and the most heroic self-sacrifice mean nothing. Right things must be done in the right way. Pride will ruin everything. Spirit-filled people, spirit-filled churches should be synonymous with the most loving people or the most loving organizations. Yet how many times has a person been hurt by a Christian? Some of the nastiest, most hateful people I've met are spirit-filled Christians. What happened? What changes it? If our focus glimmers for a second off of the head, which is Christ, our whole purpose in pursuing the Spirit is to edify the body, for to grow in love and humility. If we take our eye off that for a second, all of a sudden we delve into self-elevation and self-promotion. And the roast deli sandwich is the most disgusting thing you could eat. All of a sudden you sprinkle just a little bit of pride into your actions. And you're doing great things. You're, it just feels right. And you're just proclaiming the things and moving God's power, but without God's heart. Scripture tells us to test spirits. So what is the test of testing the moving of a spirit? Does it manifest love? Does it unify, edify, promote growth and maturity in the body? Is it truth? Does it point to the head of the body, which is Jesus Christ? Pride says we can have a mighty work of the spirit regardless of love. Pride says that we can move in mighty ways and we cannot possibly be wrong. God couldn't possibly use other people from what he's telling me. Pride says that we know the truth, even if everybody else is saying that we don't. It's so quick to do things for God without God's heart. These are the two things I'm hoping you're hearing today, church. Every Christian has access to the power of God and has a part to function in this body. Every move of God or move of the Spirit without love is not a genuine move of God, but a religious people trying to perform magic tricks for personal gain and elevation. Church, this is where we're going to end today. I want to give space for God's word to do something in your heart. I want to give you space to hear from the Spirit, and the band will lead us a little bit here into worship. But before we go into that, I just want to read over you, well... 
I'll read over to you just a few verses. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. His love is brought to full expression in us. God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Verse 15. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. This shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. If we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God who we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must love their fellow believers. Church, will you just stand with me? Can we move